statement, he was more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, You do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you, and I have the authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me up to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar, and everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he then delivered him to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the Place of the Skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they crucified him with two other men, one on either side and Jesus in the middle. And Pilate wrote an inscription also and put it on the cross, and it was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Let's be honest, on this Good Friday, on that day, Jesus was dead. On that Friday, as we celebrate this Good Friday, on that Friday, Jesus was indeed dead. He was in the grave. There was no life in his body. All was seemingly lost. All of hope had run out of humanity for those that followed him, for their Savior was dead. I'm not being disrespectful, I'm being honest. If you had been following Jesus and walking with him in the streets and been one of the disciples, or maybe the Samaritan woman, or maybe the leper that had been healed, or the man that was born blind that was healed, or the man that was lowered through the roof, all of a sudden the one who had brought those things back to you was dead. Not a very positive way to start Good Friday, is it? But sometimes from great sorrow comes great joy. Turn with me back a chapter to the 18th chapter in the book of John. I want to give you four events tonight that in my mind help sum up, if you will, the sorrow and the glory of Good Friday. We'll do it briefly. I promise to be done by like 9.30, quarter to 10. Okay. Trust me. Blessed are the brief, for they shall be heard again. Okay. John 18, 1 through 11. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine in, of Kidron, where there was a garden into which he himself entered and his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him in the act of betraying, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with the disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came with the lanterns and torches and weapons. This is a guy that's been in the streets preaching. This is a guy that everybody knows. Everybody knows he doesn't carry weapons. He doesn't even have a house to call his own. But suddenly, Rome seems to think they need to go with torches and weapons and clubs and a mob. 
Doesn't sound very fair. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him and said, Jesus the Nazarene. And he said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying them, was standing with them. And we had said to them, I am he. They drew back and fell to the ground. Some commentators have said that literally they were forced to the ground. I kind of like that myself. They've come looking for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who has the power over all nature. He calms the seas. He raises the dead, restores health. He is the one who has created all things. They come looking for him to arrest him. And they say, well, who are you looking for? They say, we're looking for you. And they're on the ground. Now, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I'm not a spoon either. And if I go looking for someone that can knock me down by just saying, I'm the guy you're looking for, I'm leaving. Okay? And I don't know anybody that's not under the threat of death that would pursue this man any further. So you have to figure the soldiers knew if they abandoned their pursuit of Christ, they would die. Again, therefore, he asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus said, I tell you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way, that the word might be fulfilled which he spoke. Of those whom thou hast given me, I lost not one. Simon Peter, therefore having a sword, I love Simon Peter, drew it and struck the high priest's slaves and cut off his right ear, and the slave's name was Malchus. Jesus therefore said to Peter, put the sword, put the sword into the sheath and drink, and the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it. We are in the middle of watching an app. It's called Chosen. I don't know how many of you have seen it. I'm hesitant to watch any of this stuff. And, and it's had some really good stuff in it. But they portray Peter in a real unique way, and I think it's accurate. Peter has this young, kind of wild-eyed, brash, always running ahead. Uh, Peter's the guy that would fall down in the ditch. He's the guy that would always kind of get himself in trouble. He always seemed to be at, at the front of the spear, if you will be. He was the guy that was going to cause issue. And so you're not surprised when you see that that Peter, to protect the one that he loved, reaches and pulls a knife out and cuts this guy's ear off. Have you ever cut your ear? You know, every now and then I shave my head because I have the perfect head. And I shave my head. And a couple of times, you know, the hardest spot to shave is right there behind the ear because, you know, using a safety razor. And, uh, oh, a couple of times I have nicked right there and I don't, you don't really notice it. And then you turn around and you look in the mirror and there's blood running down your face. And that little tiny cut will saturate the entire side of your face. It looks like a crime scene, okay? And, and I'm wondering, how bloody was this guy's head after he got his entire ear cut off? It had to have been a sight. It had to have been something so absolutely outrageously gory that the, even the most hardened man would have went, wow, I bet that hurt. But yet, in Luke... 2251, we see that Jesus reattaches his ear. Okay, now, we've come to arrest you. You've knocked us down. He cut this guy's ear off. You put it back on. You see, the arrest of Jesus was a public arrest. They tried to make a mockery of him in the garden. They tried to take him and cause violence. But he poured out mercy and grace. Even in the moment of his arrest and in that bloody scene, the love and grace and mercy of God 
showed forth through the person of Jesus Christ as he calmed the fears in the hearts and he reached out and he reattached that man's ear. Do you ever wonder what happened to Malchus? I do. I wonder if he went on to be a follower. Or I wonder if he wrote it off as a strange extreme. The public arrest in the garden is the first of one of those four things that said it for me. They see, I see my Savior in a place of peace being violently taken away. And then in verses 15 through 25, or 27 of the same chapter, we see the, the public denial. Peter denies Christ. You know, when, when Christ told him that he was going to deny him three times, that wasn't just telling him, that was a promise. Has, has Christ ever promised or said something would happen that has never come to fruition? Everything he has ever said would happen has happened. Everything that he has promised he would do, he has done. He said, I lay my life down, but I have the power to pick it back up again. That's going to happen Sunday. It's going to happen Sunday of this calendar week. For us, it's happened a long time ago. Jesus never fails in his promises. He never, he never misses the mark, if you will. He never comes up short. We never have to read more into it than what was there. Sometimes in our world when we read things, we get that dreaded letter from the government. You have to read it about eight times to understand what they're trying to say. When Jesus speaks, it's clear. You know what he means. The people who received his words knew what he meant. The reason this part of Scripture speaks so hard to me as each one of us, if you go home tonight, look in the mirror, each one of us have the exact same potential to deny our Lord and Savior as Peter did. In this room, it is easy to stand up and proclaim your faith for God. It is easy to stand and say, I would never sell my Savior short. It's kind of like when you get married. The easiest day of your wedding, of your married life, is your wedding day. After that, it's all rough sledding, okay? There's good days and bad days. But you can stand there on that day and say, this is great. When we're in this room together or you're with other Christians, it's easy to say resolutely, I will never deny my Savior. Put you in a chair and a gun to your head. How easy is it to say, I never met the man. I don't know the man. I don't know what you're talking about. Every person who doesn't know Christ and isn't committed to Christ in a deep and abiding way has the potential to take on every vile and evil, nasty habit and personality trait known to man. No girl is above becoming uh, a prostitute. No guy is above becoming a murderer. None of us are above that without the power of Christ in our life. And when we're all together, it's easy to be strong. When Peter was with the other guys, he was strong. He was always there. He was out in front. He was doing what the Lord wanted to do. But by himself, after watching his Lord die, Peter began to waver. Have you ever wavered? Have you ever failed? Have you ever found yourself on your knees before God with tears coming from your eyes and your heart ripped out where you failed? I have. And if you be honest with yourself and you're over the age of five, you probably have to. One of the reasons this made so important to me as a public denial is that's when you have the hardest time 
defending your faith unless you're really ready to go to battle. Unless you're really ready to put on that breastplate, put that word in your hand, that sword, and you're ready to go to battle, it's hard to defend your faith. You can't do it on just a willy-nilly kind of faith. You have to be fixed. Then John 19. I read this for us earlier. Pilate sentences Jesus to death. Kind of a cowardly thing, if you think about it. How many of these people had heard, had heard of, his, of his great miracles? One of the things we, we often forget is that in our day of social media, we think of things spreading virally. You know, the, the funny things on YouTube and TikTok and all that nonsense. And the viral uh, posts on Twitter. And frankly, I don't do any social media, so I'm just kind of throwing stones in the dark here. Okay, social media, as far as I'm concerned, is pure poison. Okay, you, know, you should avoid it as like the plague or like COVID. That depends on what you want to call it. But in that day, and with humans as a whole, extraordinary events travel quickly. I work with a bunch of men who sometimes remind me of gossiping women, and I'm not trying to be sexist. These guys carry some of the most fabulous stories, and you know none of them are true, because their lips are moving, and they're electricians. And they're liars. So we have this idea that these things happened and nobody knew about them. And I am sure a lot of people have heard the stories. Of course, there were some doubters. There were some that kind of poo-pooed it off as not being real. But Pilate took it seriously because he had been told. The disciples knew because they had been there. And when Pilate gave an opportunity to release Christ, they chose a murderer instead of the Savior. You see, the parallel, though, for me in my life is, is when I deny my Savior, if I was to deny him, it would be the same as saying, I don't want Christ, I want Barabbas. And I have no king in my life but me. How many of you would say you're sitting on the throne of your own life? I've been there. It's a pretty lofty place, got a great view. You think you can see everything that's going on around you, but really... You're in a dark room, and you're swimming all by yourself. And yes, the room is full of sharks. When Pilate says, when in verse 16, he says, he handed him over to be crucified, I am reminded that the sin of mankind is going to be laid upon our Savior, and it's going to be done publicly. Why is this one of my three? Because nothing Jesus did as far as our salvation is concerned, was done privately. He preached publicly, he was arrested publicly, he proclaimed publicly, and he was arrested publicly. He was tried, and he was tortured, and he was killed, and it was all done publicly. Because Christianity isn't a hide-in-the-closet kind of thing. Christianity is an out-front moving, a counterculture. Not a subculture, but a counterculture. And then finally, the greatest event next to the resurrection that happened on this day is found in the book of Matthew. Join me there, if you would, Matthew 27. Late in the chapter, 
How many of you um, have ever seen the really, really old movie called uh, The Greatest Story Ever Told? Okay, I mean, this, this thing's got to be, it came out when I was young, so it's probably every bit of 50 years old, okay? And uh, in there they, they talk about this a uh, bit. But in verse 50, let's start there in Matthew 27. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion, those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. At the very moment of Jesus' death, the curtain between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place was torn from the top down. Probably doesn't mean much to us until we realize the significance of this piece of cloth. It was a separator that reminded us that God was separated from man by sin. The only person that could go into the Holy of Holies was the, was the high priest. And he only got to go in once a year. And if I understood correctly, they would often tie a rope to his foot so that if he went in in the presence of God, had sinned in his life and God struck him dead, they could pull the body back out. Couldn't go in there. Nobody in this room would have ever qualified to go in there. You would have never been in that place. You would have never been able to see in that place. Because the veil was in front of the door. The veil was 60 foot by 30 foot. And some have said that it was as thick as a man's hand, if not thicker. That's a pretty stout curtain. They said it was so strong that two horses could have not have torn it in two, and it took a, probably a hundred priests to wash it when it became soiled, when it was time to clean it. I just find it amazing that in the moment that Christ died, that was torn from the top to the bottom. You see, for me and for many others, the moment that Christ died and the veil was torn, Freedom to access God without going through an intermediary was established. We can access the throne of heaven. We can access God without having to go through somebody else. We can walk in and stand, if you will, in our spirit. We can walk into the throne room of God and say, Father, I have a problem. I have sinned. There is something in my life. And God will hear you because he's your child. You said, you see, the veil separated God and man. Christ has made God and man acceptable, accessible to each other. Through Christ, we can access God. I would like to have seen the look on the high priest and the priest's face when the veil was torn. There's things in this world that I'd just like to know. There's things in this world I would like to have seen, and that's one of them, because it must have absolutely rocked their world in a way that only God could have done. God ever rock your world? Has God ever done anything in your life that you literally step back and go, this is a defining moment in my life? My defining moment came in November of 1987 when I trusted Christ. That's the defining moment of my life, because I went from being outside the veil to being inside the veil. That's when my life changed. So why is this one of my four? Because without the torn veil, without the public proclamation, the public trial, the public arrest, and the public crucifixion, we couldn't have Sunday. 
You see the great thing about Good Friday? Sunday's coming. And Sunday, things change. Sunday is the day we celebrate where Christ takes absolute victory over everything that has happened to him on this Friday night. The old preacher once said, Sunday's coming. And he wasn't lying. Sunday's coming. But tonight, we celebrate the death of our Lord and Savior because we know in his death, Sunday's coming and our future and our hopes have all been found. Join me as we pray. Father God, we're thankful. Um, what, what, is there that, what is there that fallen man can give you? What is there that, that we can put before you? What, what words can we use? What act, what deed can we do that will ever satisfy your need for righteousness? What, what gift can I give you? What, what token of mere mortality can we ever offer you other than our humbled thanks, our humbled and broken heart that says, use me, Lord. Let me be a tool in your hands. We thank you for this Good Friday, that on this day in 2021, we can stand here and know that our Savior is not dead. He's not in the grave. He's sitting with you in heaven on the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us constantly. I ask you tonight, Lord, to quicken our hearts, quicken our spirits, move us in ways that only you will understand, because we love you and thank you. In Christ's name, amen.